All right, here comes some history, folks. Get ready. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was the only impresario of a predominantly Mexican colony in Texas, and his influence on the Lone Star State was oh so great. Today we're talking about Martin de Leon. But first, what's your favorite place to get iced tea in Texas? I'll go first here. I'm going to say I've talked about this on the show before. I know at least two two other times. Bill Miller Barbecue. In the 70s when I was a kid, I remember they had a bucket, like a drink, (laughs) cheap, big plastic bucket, a giant bucket of iced tea. And I just, that's always stuck with me that that was the first, you know, slurpy size, just mega, let's get it on. But also, I want to say something about tea before we get too deep in this. And I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to offend people. I think sweet tea is dumb. I think (laughs) that a grown person should be able to open a packet and put just as much sweetener of whatever kind they care in their tea and stir it in. I think that it's a Southern thing. And if you want to drink sweet tea, then you need to move to Alabama. You need to get out of Texas. And I don't like the fact that as you get close to this border on the eastern part of Texas, you start to get people that are serving tea pre-sweetened. And now the infiltration has taken over big parts of the state. Because I go places now that should not have sweet tea, and they have sweet tea by default. And I do not like that. I do not like it, and I do not approve. Uh I'll argue the counter, which is this. I don't mind having unsweet tea, and I don't mind making my tea sweet. However, what I don't like is getting my tea sweet with the Splenda or the sugar or whatever, and then getting halfway through it and having a waitress who's doing her job, but having a waitress come and pick it up and fill it up with unsweet tea again. So that's the benefit of sweet tea is if they give you a refill, you don't have to re-sweeten everything. Okay, well, here's the thing. You need to learn to drink your tea like you've been on a desert island or out in the... No, you need to learn to drink your tea like you've been stuck in the desert and just guzzle it down one glass at a time, Sean. All right. Okay. Are you guys done? Yes. Sweet right. tea. This Not is good. sweet tea talk in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite iced tea uh, is always going to be the uh, the sun tea out of the jar from my uh, Nana Spence post. Uh, we'd go there in the summer. We'd uh, fill up a big jar with water and a bunch of tea bags, and she'd say, "Go set this out on the fence post." And then by dinner time, we'd have a good day long brew of iced tea. I made like in sun, the sun tea. Sun tea, man. The sunshine makes it more delicious. I haven't. Done, it does. I haven't had real I don't sun know tea. In, I don't know in how. But thirty something years, probably. That's amazing. Yep. Wow. So. It's very easy to do. Can't beat it. No. Well, I, I don't care where I get my sweet tea. I like my sweet tea. As long as it's cold, it's generally sweet, but it has to have no lemons. For every lemon slice I find on that tea, I'm going to kill you. Okay. <laughs> I hate lemons on my tea. All right. You know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to offer a counterpoint, Sean. I think- <laughs> I think that you are the very last person who should be making any commentary because there's something about you, your palate, and your gastrointestinal system 
that where peaches, lemons, most variety of citrus can find no no, no purchase all. anywhere on the rocky precipice of your life. Yeah. But I like I like the flavor of lemons. I just don't like it in my tea. I don't like it I get in that. my iced tea. I get that. You're drawing a line. A lemon's a traditional flavoring that's okay. Pomegranate, hibiscus, pomegranate hibiscus. None of those fancy, you know, dirt tea. I don't know, whatever they're making now. I just need tea that tastes like tea. It should be cold. And you should have a sugar caddy and a dish of lemons. And you put in it what you care. Exactly. Put it on the side. Just don't stick it on my glass so there that when I go. put my mouth on it, I get lemons in my mouth. <laughs> if I wanted lemonade, I'd order lemonade. Hey, well, don't get me started on the Arnold Palmer. <laughs> well, that wraps things up for today. We'll see you next time on Texas Tea <laughs> All right. Here comes some history, folks. Get ready. Yeah. Martin de Leon was born in 1765 in Burgos, Nuevo Santander, in northern Mexico. He was the son of Bernardo and Maria Galvan de Leon aristocratic immigrants to Mexico from Spain. Though his family were people of great wealth and were acquainted with European rulers, Martin turned down the opportunity with other members of his family oh, Martin turned down the opportunity other members of his family had taken to complete his education in Monterey in Europe. Instead, he began his adult career as a general goods supplier to workers at the Real de San Nicolas mine. By the time he was 25, he joined the Fieles de Burgos regiment and was eventually promoted to the rank of captain, which was the highest rank available then to a criollo, or pure-blooded person who was born in the New World. Higher ranks had to be peninsulares who were born in Spain. In 1795, he married Patricia de la Garza, who was the daughter of General Felipe de la Garza, commander of the in, he was the commander of the Eastern Internal Provinces. The two began. Re- the two began ranching in Carillas Nueva Santander. They visited La Bahia, which is Goliad, San Antonio, and Nacogdoches, all in Texas, in 1805. And this convinced De Leon to settle in Texas. They moved north and established a ranch between Chilpatron Creek and the Aransas River. In addition to the cattle, horses, and mules and goats that they brought from Mexico, they enclosed several leagues of land with a brush fence to corral mustangs for domestication. Their brand, a connected E and J standing for Espiritu de Jesus, was the first registered cattle brand in the region that would someday become Texas. It was modeled on one used by the Jesuits and was brought with the De Leon family when they immigrated from Spain. De Leon officially registered the brand under his family name in 1807. That same year, he made his first petition to act as an impresario for Spain. This petition was denied by the Spanish governor at San Antonio, Manuel Maria de Salcedo, as was a follow-up petition he submitted in 1809 due to the rising political troubles and rumors that the de Leones were not loyal to Spain. These petitions were part of his hopes for ensuring his own children would have land available to them to establish their own ranches in the relatively deserted expanses of Texas. De Leon did not wait for his petition to be approved and created a new... De Leon did not wait for his petition to be approved and created a new ranch on the east bank of the Nueces River, near present-day San Patricio. He drove several herds of livestock to market in New Orleans, becoming one of the earliest Texas trail drivers. After Texas garrisons were moved as a reaction to the September 1810 uprising by Father Miguel Hidalgo y Castilla, the frontier became more vulnerable to raids by Leapin Apache and the Comanches. De Leon was a skilled horseman and Indian fighter, 
bet as often as not placated raiding parties simply by feeding them, earning the name Capitan Vacas Muchas among the natives. Still, Martin moved his family to San Antonio and safety as raids increased. While there, he began to sympathize with the Republicans against the Royalists and eventually supported the revolution that saw Mexico gain its independence from Spain. Somewhere during this time, De Leon suspected that the newly independent Mexican government would seek to colonize Texas in order to form a buffer area from Indian attacks. In 1823, he drove another large herd of livestock to New Orleans and surveyed a large area of land on the lower Guadalupe that he felt would make a fine colony. The provisional Mexican government approved a contract on April 13, 1824, to grant De Leon permission to become an impresario for the colonization of Texas. Martin's wife, Patricia, provided $9,800 and another 300 in livestock that she inherited from her father for the cause. De Leon's contract was to settle 41 Mexican families on the lower Guadalupe and Lavaca rivers. The town he founded there was originally named Villa de Nuestra Senora de Guadalupe Victoria Nombre de Jesus, after the then president of Mexico, Guadalupe Victoria. It has come today to be known simply as Victoria, and it's still around today. De Leon's colony was the only predominantly Mexican colony in Texas. The rest were settled primarily by immigrants from the United States after the Mexican legislature passed the General Colonization Law in 1825, allowing foreigners to gain title to land. De Leon's status as the only Mexican impresario meant that he received preference in the many disputes over borders and boundaries with the Anglo settlers that surrounded his colony. This was evident when we discussed the conflicts he had over the boundaries of his colony with one of his neighbors, Green DeWitt. De Leon was able to get DeWitt arrested on charges of contraband and had the dispute settled in his favor. De Leon died of cholera only nine years after the founding of his colony in 1833 and before the Texas Revolution, leaving his family in a state of over half a million dollars, which would be about $15 million today. During the ramp-up in tensions between the Mexican government and the colonists in Texas, both Anglo and Tejano, De Leon remained largely neutral, though he did support local control for the state's affairs. His family carried on in Texas, however, and had a prominent place for years. Much like Green DeWitt, De Leon's colony was largely funded by his wife's inheritance. When Martin died, Patricia carried on as head of the De Leon family. The De Leons had a large family, including four sons. All four sons aided Stephen F. Austin in trading livestock for munitions with the United States during the Texas Revolution. Fernando went on to become aide-de-camp to Texas's first provisional governor, James W. Robinson. Another, Silvestre, fought beside Placido Benavides, who just so happened to be married to his sister, Augustina, and they fought at the Siege of Bayar in 1835. Benavides opposed Santa Ana's rule, but wanted Texas to remain part of Mexico. In addition to the Battle of Bayar, he led a group of Tejanos in the Battle of Goliath. Placido is also known as the Texas Paul Revere for riding from San Patricio to Goliad to Victoria in 1836 to warn residents that the Mexicans were coming. Augustino was not the only de Leon daughter married to an important man in Texas history. Candelaria married Jose Miguel Aldrete, state land commissioner of Cojilla y Texas y Tejas in 1835, and alcalde of the Ayuntamiento of Goliad. Aldrite also fought with several insurgent groups against Santa Ana. 
Maria was married to Rafael Manchola, who was elected to the state legislature in 1830 and also served as alcalde of Goliad. Refugio was married to Jose Maria Jesus Carballal, a Mexican freedom fighter who waged a guerrilla war against Santa Ana. Unfortunately, the de Leon suffered the fate of most of the Tejanos who fought in the Texas Revolution, namely prejudice and injustice at the hands of the newcomer Anglos, who enjoyed the fruits of their labors and sacrifice. Agapito was murdered by Mabry B. Mustang Gray while Gray was rustling de Leon cattle. Fernando was wounded in a similar incident. All in all, the de Leons, Benavides, and Carbajals were forced to abandon their land, livestock, and possessions and flee to Louisiana to keep their lives. The de Leon family stayed in New Orleans for about three years before moving back to Soto La Marina, which is now in Tamaulipas in Mexico and was Patricia's childhood home. It wasn't until Texas joined the Union in 1845 that they were able to return. Although Patricia became a prominent member of the community, the family was largely unsuccessful in reclaiming their lost property. It wasn't until 1972 that the De Leon family got some of the recognition it deserved when Texas state historical markers were placed in Evergreen Cemetery in Victoria in their honor. Amazingly enough, another Patricia De Leon, the great-granddaughter of Martin, and Dr. Ricardo Victoria, the great-grandson of President Guadalupe Victoria, the man the town was named after, were both in attendance. De Leon. De Leon. So, so our friend James helped write this episode, James Abendroth, and he asked me a question uh, in the notes. He said, why isn't there a movie about this guy or a book? Yeah. And a, a historical novel about this family was what he asked about. And I actually do know that some of the elements of the De Leon family history are fictionalized in James Michener's massive book, Texas, uh, which is about generational families in Texas from the time of the Spanish to the modern day. And so uh, the the elements of the De Leon family are, are in this book. So you, you do get a little of that. Now, should it be made into a telenovela? Absolutely. Please, someone go make this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to see, see something dramatized about this. Yeah. I mean, it's he, he was pretty influential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about him last time uh, when we talked about Green DeWitt, and that they, they had a feud, uh, a personal feud for some reason. It's not entirely clear why. Uh, it may have just been overland, but yeah, um, it is sad that you know he was actually uh, nearly sixty. Yeah, he was nearly 60 when he died, uh, but he got that same cholera outbreak that uh, that really wiped out a lot of people uh, in northern Mexico right before the Texas Revolution. I think that was the same cholera outbreak that killed uh, Jim Bowie's family as well. Mm. Awful stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very sad what happened to the Tejanos who fought in the revolution. You know, we talked about that. A couple of years ago when we talked about uh, Juan Seguin, that he actually ended up serving under Santa Ana when Texas during the Republic period just because of the treatment that he and other Tejanos received. And that's a, that's a very sad chapter in Texas history, and it's one we shouldn't forget about. We shouldn't gloss over that things were not perfect in the Republic of Texas and that the people who were there, the Anglos who were there and the ones who came later, you know, they did have very negative attitudes towards people who had been in Texas longer than there was in America. So um, it, is, it is unfortunate. Yep. 
it's just so interesting to me that there's this piece of Texas history, these very influential people, and I'm glad we're able to highlight these pieces of, of the history, but what should we be doing? It, has enough been done to honor this family? Is there more things that should be done for daily on? Should there be more pieces of Texas named for them or out there, or should this be part of our curriculum in some other way that we're missing? Because we focus, again, heavily on the old 300, Maybe somebody's heard of DeWitt County, and then that's about where it ends for the impresarios and the studies that most people know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think so. I, I do think that they should. There should be Martin DeLeon High School, and, uh, you know, there should be, you know, we should know more about, should know more about Texas history than just the just Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin. I mean, there's there's a lot of depth, but Martin DeLeon is definitely an important part of Texas history that's just people just don't know about. I mean, people probably don't even know why Victoria is named Victoria or why Gonzalez is named Gonzalez. Very true. Or Refurio. You know, you know and it, like Victoria is a good one because, you know, it was named after President Guadalupe Victorio the very uh, first president of Mexico, you know, and and it's just, that's a tie into how important Mexican history is to Texas history. Like we should really learn a lot about Mexican history in Texas history. Like that should be an important part of Texas history for our, for our young people in this state. Uh, you know, there's, there is uh, there's towns Guerrero, the towns in Texas called Guerrero. Why is there a town in Texas called Guerrero? He was the second president of Mexico, and he was he was of African descent. You know, he was the second president of Mexico who was and he abolished slavery and was of African descent. And yet, I don't think many Americans even know who he is. So, these are things that people should know about, and they just don't. I would point out we have said on this show multiple times, Sean, that. If you want to get to the, if you start looking at real Texas history and looking at this, you've got to have some foundation understanding of what happened in Mexico for about 50 years before the creation of Texas. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you're lost at the number of players and the reasons of why some of these ins and outs of the political intrigue. And even, you know, even in the modern era, we're still very much tied to the politics of Mexico and the things that happen. So it's... It's a big trading partner. It's a border partner. But at the time, it was really, you know, Spain and Mexico, and then Mexico and Tejas, and then it became Texas and Mexico. And it, the cycle keeps moving on. And you got to understand yeah. that. Then that was the thing we talked about with the Santa Ana too. That he wasn't just some comic book character that came out of you know came out of the sky. There's a reason why he had the political agenda. And mm -hmm. acted the way he did, and it had to do with a lot of his forebears and that culture that he was brought up in, you know, between what was happening there. So, I just I like the fact that we find these nice little stories and are able to bring some light on some people and names that may sound familiar, but you don't know why they're here. Yeah, and De Leon is a really good example of of different eras of Texas history and of Mexican history. He was born into. Uh, the old Spain, uh, old Spanish colony environment, uh, where you know there was a there was a rigid caste system. He was a Criollo. 
Uh, his parents were peninsulares. You know, he has he was in a certain level, uh, and then he he through hard work and through buying land in Texas, he was part of the the hacienda period of Texas, where there was ranches along the border, uh, and that was the major part. Besides San Antonio and the missions in in uh, Central and East Texas, the ranches were the major part of Spanish Texas. You know, and then he was part of the revolution, and he was part of the 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 colonial period of Texas. So he was he had his footprint in different eras of Texas, and you can kind of trace that. The other thing I loved about him, I loved about this story was that when you know the Indians attacked uh, and raided, he gave them food, and they called him uh, Capitan Vacas Muchos, which is I think like Captain Captain Lots of Food. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they called it. So. That's I just think that's cool. Yep. It's like Sutter Bull. Sutter Bull, the Comanche here. <laughs> that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We love hearing from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. A big thank you to our good friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write another episode. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Blackguard Press and find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. If you like our show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, let your fingers do the walk-in and head on over to patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Oh,